Shalom. Welcome to the Christchurch Jerusalem Bible Study, where we wrestle with God's Word. For more information on the church, to listen to sermons, to contact us, or to make a gift, visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Brothers and sisters, welcome to Christchurch Jerusalem, to our evening Bible study on the book of Leviticus. It's great that everybody is joining in and uh, welcome to our community that's across the world. We're actually, I think, going to finish chapter 16 uh, this, this session. It's been a great chapter. There's been an incredible amount in, and I do appreciate uh, the way we've been able to wrestle um, with words, with sentences, with themes without wanting to race. Uh, and 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 think that we're on some sort of time limit. It's uh, been a delight, just to journey with the Lord and and let Him speak. And speaking of the Lord, we know that He's present. And the best way to acknowledge His presence um, is to quieten ourselves and pray. And now um, our brother Rocky is going to lead us in our adoration of God and in our prayer. Brother, you can pray us in. Dear Abba, please. Come and guide us as we wade through your words. Send your Holy Spirit to us and guide our eyes, our ears, our hands in all that we do. And we thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Okay. As is our tradition, we read the uh, summary from uh, two weeks ago, because last week was Ash Wednesday. And the notes are in the chat, and they should be online for those that are downloading the podcast. So our summary is, the Mishkan, the tabernacle of God, had been constructed by human hands, it was transported by humans, and it was erected within a human encampment. Now, while the Lord dwelt with his people inside the tent, the tent itself became contaminated by those around it. Thus, the tabernacle the Holy of Holies, and the altar itself receive atonement through the work of the high priest. On a personal level, the Holy Spirit dwells within the temple of human flesh, a holy thing inside a corrupt thing. Hence, the first actual atonement made on the Day of Atonements was for Aaron and his household. Now, throughout the ceremony of Yom Kippur, No wording of the prayers are mentioned in the text. Only the physical order of the service and the types of the sacrifices offered. Only the high priest is permitted to be present in the tent of meeting, which can also be read the tent of witness. There is a tradition that a rope was attached to the leg of the Kohen Gadol in case he did not perform the ritual correctly and died in the presence of the Lord, although this is not in the text itself. On a literal reading of the text, no one sees the high priest perform his work, nor hear his prayers. No one else participates in the atonement of the whole community. Atonement is granted through the work and service of one unseen high priest. Now, one of the unique features of the Day of Atonements, and it's plural, is in the sending forth from the Israelite community of the live goat. The high priest confesses the sins of the entire Israelite nation onto the head of the goat. The wording of the confession is unknown. 
confession is made on behalf of those who cannot hear the confession, nor are required to express desire for confession to be made. Note, the first goat, called the goat of the Lord, uh, Hashem, has already been sacrificed and atonement has already been made for the whole community. Confession and expulsion of the sins of the Israelites are now performed using the live goat, the goat of Azazel. But why? If atonement has already been made, why continue to confess and why the need to remove the sins that have been atoned for? We continue to learn that atonement, confession, repentance, and forgiveness, not the same thing. The visual image of the live goat taking all the sins of the entire community can be a powerful assurance at the spiritual and psychological level. The literal reading of the text, though, declares that the actual sins are indeed being removed and taken away, not only in a spiritual sense. The theological theme of the sacrifice taking away the sins of the community is echoed by John the Baptist, who declares that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this declaration is repeated twice in an ancient Byzantine prayer known as the Gloria that is still prayed today in traditional churches. Until this point of the service, the high priest has operated alone and without assistance. However, once the live goat is confessed over, an unnamed man takes the goat away. This nameless man is prepared for this occasion. He is without tribe, rank, age, or status, simply being in the state of preparedness for this time. There is an interesting yet unexplained partnership between the service of the high priest and this unnamed man. Practically, the man could have been a Levite or a Kohen who knew the temple service and the steps required for preparation. On a theological level, there is an active participation between heaven as represented by the high priest, and earth, as represented by the man. God delights to reveal himself through people, and people participate in the expansion of his kingdom and in the sharing of the good news. And so here we come up to our final uh, portion, six verses from verse 29. And I'll be reading. Um, from an ESV, Leviticus 16.29, and it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month and on the tenth day of the month you shall afflict yourselves and you shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. And you shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement, wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this 
shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. All right. Okay. So let's have a look at the text. So up until this point, we've had absolutely no real involvement from any of the other community. Now, actually, they have some sort of involvement. It's a very interesting form of involvement because it's not 100% clear what it is you're supposed to do. There's a few things you might not do, but even then that might not be clear. And so it opens it up for interpretation. So based on a literal reading of the text, what are the, some of the things you notice or some of the things that you don't notice? Preparation. Preparation. You need to prepare. All righty. Okay. Preparation for the forgiveness of sin. Yeah. The fact it's everlasting and it's repeated that it's everlasting. Yeah. That's uh, one of the things I, I, I asked us, I think, to, to contemplate is what does this mean? What does the word everlasting and the word um, the words in Hebrew are? Um, let me just get the actual actual text. It's lokochat uh, olam. This is a this is a law, a chok, okay, forever. Now, in in Hebrew, in the Torah, there are lots of different words used to describe um, the mitzvot, the commandments. One word is mitzvah, commandment. And another, then there's also the masa'ot, the things that you do. And then there's the chokot. And, um, and then there's the mishpat, mishpatim, the judgments. And um, they all have different nuances and different meanings. Uh, a chok, a law, is usually a law that has no obvious reason. Okay? So mitzvahs usually have an obvious reason. Don't murder. Why not? Well, it's pretty obvious. The guy getting murdered doesn't really like it. It's not horrible. Blood's not yours to, to take. These kinds of ideas. What's a law that has no, no obvious reason? And that would be the law of what they call um, shatnas, which is um, that you can't mix linen and cloth together in, in the same garment. Right? This is a law. It's a chok. And it has absolutely no explanation. And for the last 3,000 years, Books, Jewish commentaries have been written. What the heck does this mean? Conclusion, we don't know. So, but we'll do it, but we just don't quite know. It's one of those things. We, we will create some theological ideas and spiritual ideas, but we really honestly haven't got a clue. It's there and, and here. This is also one of those. This is a, a chokka, a chok forever, a law forever. So interesting thoughts. Uh, David or Vida. You've got a hand. Uh, Aaron, I, I was just wondering, this is a, a statute forever, right? And you have to make an atonement for the holy sanctuary, for the priest, and for all of the stuff. But like you say, it's, it's a different kind of commandment because it seems to be that what you're saying, there's a certain amount of flexibility in this because maybe the Lord God knew, or of course he would know, that there were going to be changes over time. For example, we don't have the holy sanctuary, right? So. Uh, the, the consequences of not at this moment uh, sanctifying or making an atonement for the holy sanctuary is not going to cause a real problem for Israel, is it? 
as long as you keep the other parts. In, in, and what I'm trying to say is, how do you keep this? How would you, without, without the temple, you see, and, and also how do you keep the priesthood going? How do you keep them going if it doesn't really, really exist today? But there seems to, as I said before, there seems to be a certain amount of flexibility here that the Lord has allowed, uh, that there's not like a death sentence in this, for example, if you don't keep it. So those are great questions. Um, obviously, uh, the, the large, the, the entire chapter 16's service is performed by the Kohen Gadol, the high priest. But if you haven't got one, then now what do you do? Um, yes, and, and that's, perhaps this is also why he mentioned you will afflict your souls. Perhaps. That's a good question. I mean, um, it's, remember, the last, I've been, as I've been mentioning in the last uh, couple of weeks, the image we have on the literal reading is we have this high priest who no one sees what he's doing, no one hears him say anything, um, no one, he doesn't, no one, no one's, no one talks to him ahead of time and he doesn't ask everybody who, who wants uh, actual forgiveness around here. Um, he's doing something on your behalf and it, and, it, and it works. What's my responsibility? Well, literally nothing up until this point where it says afflict. Oh, what does that mean? And, um, and we'll, we'll talk about that. But, yes, what do you, again, the questions, what do you do if you don't have a high priest? What do you do if you don't have a sanctuary? Obviously, some of these things can't be atoned for because they're simply not there. But some people are there. The humans themselves are there. All right, a bunch of hands raised. I'll go through the, the list. Scotland, Kate, you're up. It's just stop me if I'm absolutely wrong. I, I seem to remember somewhere in the last few weeks, possibly in church, but the law and faith were compared in some aspect. Whereas faith, the law came first and faith followed. And, and I was, that, that came to, into my head when I read what you asked the question on. So that could be completely wrong because my knowledge is, is minimal. But in a way, it bears, it bears a truth here because we can't see what's happening, but we have faith that it has happened. God has told us that this is to happen. We have faith in what God has told us this will happen. You know, we are believing what's going on, even though we can't always see what's happening. We believe that we are forgiven. Even if we didn't see Because God has said, this will, this will make us forgiven. But it's that, that faith and law thing that it might, I might have got that entirely wrong. No, it's reflected in the um, Jewish people's response at Mount Sinai. The Lord thundered out his his voice and uh, the and they, they the people said Moses we can't we can't we can't bear to hear the voice it's just too powerful for us you go do all the talking and at the end of uh, Moses talking he says do you will you accept this and the answer of the people is uh we will do and then we will hear and understand which the word order is is completely wrong isn't it like how can you do something that you haven't heard yet? And it's like, but we will do. We will do what God says. And then as we're doing it, we'll figure out what it actually means. But, but don't worry, we'll do it. We're not going to sit down and try and figure out what it means first and then get up and do it. So it's very interesting. You do, 
and you work it out as you go along. Very, very, very interesting that they uh, would say that in that way. And um, this week's Torah portion is actually Leviticus 1 to 5. And uh, so I went back and I was looking again at the first couple of verses because they're so interesting. And um, and <clears throat> the the we, we mentioned it many, many, many uh, moons ago. The small aleph that appears at the word vayikra, the very first word on the on the scroll. Normally, Hebrew letters are all the same size. Yet, for some reason, the aleph on this word is small. It's the only time. There's one other time where the aleph is very big, and that's in First Chronicles one, where it uses the word Adam. And gives out a, a small a small genealogy. You think what what is why why is that there? There is no real answer, but there's some, been some excellent thoughts about it. And one of the ones I like. There's lots of different levels. One of the ones I liked is that Adam. Well, he was a bit proud, and so he was rather big and full of himself. And he disobeyed the Lord and, and ate the fruit. But when God wanted to call a people to Himself. He humbled himself and he came down and spoke to them face to face. And uh, so they, he, they, they go down this little small, small aleph and they, they, they mention that um, uh, it's just a nice way of talking about how God came and approached people and, and called the people. It's a calling. But anyway, we've got a hand raised. Let's go to Rocky. All right, Aaron, thank you. I was reading something just this week about um, linen and wool. And linen has a certain frequency, they were saying in this article, about for healing. And wool has a different frequency for healing. And if they're worn together, they cancel each other out. Okay. It's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. I haven't heard that, but it's kind of cool. All right. Uh, David or Vida? Yes, Aaron. I was just reading in Hebrews in chapter 10. It talks about... Um, these, the law being a shadow of things to come, obviously. But then it says that um, if yearly these sacrifices would have purchased from our sins, they wouldn't have to be continued regularly. But it's verse um, 9 and 10 that struck, struck out at me. It says, um, oh, sorry, 8, above all, sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings for sin you would not. And then also it says in verse 6, in burnt offerings and sacrifices, I have no pleasure. It seems as if... The, the later writer of Hebrew, assume Paul, is saying there that, that he really got God's heart, that the, the actual sacrifice itself wasn't pleasing to God. They were there just to cover the people's disobedience until, the, um, until Christ came, obviously. But the, it was, if you read in the Old Testament, it says, it seems that, that the sacrifice and offerings are not pleasing to God seems to, in a sense, cover what Paul is getting at his Hebrews, why Christ being that offering, mm. being that acceptable offering. But then, but and also, Aaron, is it possible that where we see this thing, this, this, which is the statute forever, the writer of Hebrews, Paul, we think, is, is going to say that there has to be the death of the testator, right, in order for the new thing to come in. So maybe this is where, where, where things change, that the, the idea of being forever 
continues in the in new Christ, in yeah. Christ in the new covenant because of the death of the testator for the new covenant to come into being. So it is still forever, but in a different way under the new covenant. That's what I'm trying to get at. Okay. Yes, because what does what do these laws forever mean when new covenants came along, and so the new covenant of Pinchas. That's the first covenant that appears after the Mosaic covenant. So God says to Pinchas, you're going to have a covenant of peace forever. Okay. So now what? Does that mean I don't have to do Yom Kippur or anything? Right. <laughs> yeah. So, but, um, I, but I'd like to just, if, if I can call on Andrew. Now, Andrew, I, did, I have not prepared him for this, but he did send me a text uh, was, and, it was, and it drew me back to something that Lord Rabbi Sachs said, okay? And um, it was right at the beginning of Leviticus. Andrew, do you remember the text you sent? Yesterday or a few weeks ago. The one yesterday, <laughs> the one where the word order of Leviticus 1 is slightly wrong. Can I rather read it to you? Yes, go on. That would be easier. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when one of you offers a sacrifice to the Lord, the sacrifice must be taken from the cattle, sheep, or goats. So the, the verse could be read if it were constructed according to the normal rules of grammar. However, the word order of the sentence in Hebrew is strange and unexpected. We would expect to read, I can't read the Hebrew, I'm afraid. When one of you offers a sacrifice, when one of you offers a sacrifice, instead what it says is Adam ki when one offers a sacrifice of you. In English, we read it uh, when we offer a sacrifice, but the Hebrew probably more correctly reads when one offers a sacrifice of you. Absolutely. When, 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 when I heard that, I went and double-checked, and I was like, oh, my gosh, that is exactly true. How did I miss that at the beginning? It says, so this is Vayikra uh, El Moshe. This is and he called, so God calls using a small aleph, very interesting, never done anywhere else in the Bible. Okay, So there's, there's some meaning for this. Um, the Devar uh, Adonai, the word of, and, and, and spoke the Lord, Allah, spoke the word, God deliberately spoke to him, and from the tent of meeting, tent of witness, actually. Devar Bene Israel, that sounds normal. Speak to the sons of Israel. That sounds normal. And say this to them. Adam ki a, a person who would like to make a sacrifice, you would then say a sacrifice of what? So the next thing should be of what? But the word is, Adam who wants a sacrifice, me come from them, from you. He chooses a sacrifice to the Adonai, Korban la Adonai, so he can then choose a sacrifice from, from the flocks, from the, from the meat, or from the, the sheep. But the Hebrew is very interesting because it says first, before you even go get an animal sacrifice, where do you get your real sacrifice from? It's you. The human is the real sacrifice. Now, isn't that a nice, interesting theological point on many levels? 
You know, present your bodies as living sacrifices, says Paul. Humans can be a sacrifice. They can die for others. Oh, my gosh, where do we get that idea from? Well, actually, that first appears in the Maccabees, but obviously through through the Messiah. And uh, so anyway, and so what you're saying again, um, uh, Vida, how can these how can this keep going even without a temple? Well, somewhere locked inside the, 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 the text right at the beginning is, well, it comes from you first, and you're always around. Shimshon, Nigeria, brother, what have you got? Got a hand raised. Yes, shalom, everyone. Thank you, Aaron. Um, a first thing, um, following on that um, question from Vida, um, you ask yourself, um, how did the Yom Kippur happen during the time of Yeshua? During the second temple period, the Ark of the Covenant was never in the temple. And you know the high point of the priests was to enter the Holies of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant is. So that is the main thing. He stands before the Ark of Covenant and talks to God and takes the blood of the atonement and rubs it on the horns of the altar of the, uh, and rubs it on the Ark of Covenant. He plays um, seven times before the cutting and all those other things. But now the Ark is not there. But forgiveness has been done all this while. And um, Yeshua didn't tell them, oh, you are wasting your time because there's no ark. And everybody knew that was, there was forgiveness. And so we, we also know that even when the temple is not standing, there is still forgiveness. And, um, and during Yom Kippur, God still forgives us, just like you mentioned from that text, um, from Baikra chapter 1, that we are the sacrifice itself. And, um, you know, God, God was telling the children of Israel that, he, and when they were continuing in their sins, he says, I hate your sacrifices. Not because the they, they sacrifices are bad or he didn't like it. It's because their heart was not presented with the sacrifice. God wants a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, man. I'm going to write that down again. Yes, David was correct when he says uh, the sacrifice of God, a broken spirit and a, and a contrite heart. And he still said, and then I'll bring you other sacrifices. <laughs> so, but, but first. The first one's me, right, which is, which is excellent. Okay, Sharon, you've got a hand raised. Well, that's really cool thoughts, you guys, because I'm just following up on everybody, exactly what you guys said in, in Aaron's Hebrew and then Vita's verse, because the next verse in that section is talking about doing, right? So the sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me, blah, blah, blah. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. It's so powerful that he wants us to do his, his will, that there's work to do. It's not just sitting around. There's, there's a part for us to play, in fact. Preach eh? it, sister. That's right. Yes, we will do, and then we will understand. When it also says, a body I prepared for you, lower, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me. You can see that it's speaking about both Christ and the body. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. There was lots of connections on all levels. I hope everybody who's listening on podcast land is making these connections along along with us. Okay. So this is a uh, a statute forever. And uh, we get the the timing. It's the seventh month, 10th day. It's in the month of what we call uh, Tishrei. Um, And, yes, they're named after Babylonian gods. Do Jewish people care about that? No, they don't. Um, do lots of Christians care about it? Yes, they do uh, on, on their behalf, and that's fantastic. But seriously, no one's actually honestly worried. Um, and, uh, and we have this, this, this 
um, instruction that now it's something that we actually have to do. And it says, you'll afflict yourselves. Well, you afflict your soul, is what it literally says. What does that verse mean? What does afflicted mean? What does that mean? What is the Hebrew, for example? Well, I, dang it, I was going to ask you. Enough. <laughs> the Hebrew word is enough. Yeah. Go on, brother. And I would argue when we go and look at the other 75 places that we find in the Bible, that um, it doesn't necessarily mean to fast. Correct. We have to look and we have to look how it's used in the other places. Yeah. So the what we all we get is the word to afflict our souls, right? So on a literal reading, what are you not afflicting? Your body, okay. Okay. Except, except they are connected. Okay. Because right at the beginning of the book of Genesis, Adam is lying on the ground. His body is prepared. Everything is there for him to get up and move, but he doesn't get up and move. And, um, and then the Lord breathes into him, and then it says, and he became a nephesh. A yeah, and that's right. He became a living soul, and the living soul is connected to a body. It's slightly different from the other word neshama. It's a bit of a higher-level form of spirit because um, those words are different. Um, yet... Uh, they also the body is also slightly different from the soul because um, in the in the Shema you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, okay? uh, which is an interesting uh, little little phrase. What does heart mean in that? What what is the word for heart in that verse? Lev. It's, it's, it's heart. It means heart. But um, uh, the 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 actual wider interpretation is. Um, Another long discussion, <laughs> but uh, let's just keep it at that it's uh, the, and focus on the word here of, of nefesh. Teresa, uh, London. Yes, I just the, the, this whole thing about soul. I mean, we're not so split so clearly, are we, into a body and a soul, which isn't that sort of more a Hellenistic way of looking at things. And this, it is, there is something I haven't grasped it complete. Well, I haven't grasped it really, but I know that there's something that's very different and it's like um it's your your kind of your life your heart when you love the lord your god with all your soul you're loving him with your whole being isn't it something to do with your being the life um and it's you can't really define it in little boxes can you really but but the, but it's more than just this idea that um i was brought up with actually that you know you had a soul and you had a body and they were like separate in a way but they were joined somehow and, and it isn't like that, you know, and that, that I just wanted to make that point because that complicates it in one sense, but it does unite somehow. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good thought, Teresa, because I think in like First Thessalonians, Paul gives the insight that he says, you know, that God, keep, you know, that God can cleanse or, you know, make pure our body, soul and spirit. So I think we're a a trinity made in the image of God, body, soul and spirit. And then, you know, how that verse in Acts says that, you um, in him we live and move and have our being. So you know how they're cloning bodies? Like how do they give that body that living essence? You know, like it's, it's interesting. It's just really a powerful thought that that's our life-giving essence. You know what I mean? Like our spirit in us versus just a carcass laying there, you know? That's how I see it, yes. All right. So in Jeremiah 32, 41, God says, I will rejoice in doing them good 
and I will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. So who else has a soul? Oh, God, because he's a spirit, right? In the New Testament, like God is a spirit. He's not a body. Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? Hmm. Um, Genesis links, links a soul and a body together. And when the body dies, then the soul is, it goes somewhere. So it is linked. But at the same time, it also some is also somehow separate because it also go it doesn't stay with the body. Um, so it's very interesting, and then it's reunited with some sort of body, uh, which makes it all very very um, interesting. I had a discussion about this this morning with four rabbis. Okay, now I won't name them because the way we were talking, we all had to stop for a second and go, "Hang on." Are we actually talking heresy here? Uh, once you start linking souls and bodies together and saying God has a soul, so therefore does he actually also have some sort of body? And you go, wait a second, you know, you're starting to sound like me in a minute. Um, you know, uh, uh, it's, it, but it was, it's, it was, it's, a, it's a discussion that even, even some rabbis can have. But we've got to flick this thing. got to flick this thing called the soul. Well, how do you do it? Rod, Roddy's already mentioned Many times in the Hebrew Bible, this does not mean fasting. However, today it is predominantly done by, by fasting. Uh, that doesn't mean that fasting is bad, good, or indifferent uh, because Jesus himself says in Matthew 6, when you fast, he doesn't say if you fast. He is, he is already in a time where it is implied that his followers do this, this thing called fasting. Um, uh, who Vida or David, and then Roddy himself. I was just going to say, where it says afflict your souls here, it made me think of Esau, who sought, sought repentance with tears, but he wasn't forgiven. So he, it seems to me that his soul wasn't afflicted. He may have been on the physical body repenting. He may have been crying and showing all of that, but yet it doesn't seem to imply that that level of seeking repentance with tears that's why i'm saying sometimes even if we just say oh i'm going to fast if we do everything on a physical level through the body it doesn't mean we are afflicting our souls we have to be careful and so trying to understand what afflicting your soul means i think we really do need the work of the holy spirit and that conviction because it's such a, a deep grieving that we actually in my mind is when we afflict us or we get to the point where we we realize how holy God is and how filthy we are in comparison. Right. Yeah. And just to make matters worse, the word affliction can also uh, in, in, in mean humble. Oh, know. that makes total sense because the proud are far from God, but you have to be humble to be near God. Sure. And then the next question is, what does humil humility look like? <laughs> you know, if someone just says, oh, I'm being humble. Okay. What does that mean? May, like? may, may I interrupt? In, so, in all of this, right, we, we are talking about this stuff. Paul, as, as uh, Terence mentioned in, in Thessalonians, says, May the Lord God preserve your whole spirit and soul and body to be preserved blameless. So, it means our spirit has to be blameless, our soul has to be blameless, our body has to be blameless. Uh, how do we work this? Really good thought. Cool. Uh, Roddy, do you, do you, do you, is that something you're going to respond to or got another, another point? 
No, I was just going to bring up the other place that we see it in Genesis. Okay. In Genesis 14, when Abraham is coming back after getting Lot and all the people and animals after uh, the kings had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom, Sodom, he comes out, the king of Sodom, asks Abraham, you give me all the people and keep all the goods for yourself. But the word in Hebrew is give me the souls That's right. of the people. Oh, and okay. every time I read that, I get chill bumps. Sodom, I, I, I envision Sodom as the epitome of, uh, of evil and hostile itself. And he's asking for Abraham to release the souls of the people to him. Yeah, I can see where you get the chill glands on that one. Yeah. Okay. So um, any, any further thoughts on humbling or afflicting your soul in modern, in modern, um, uh the hebrew people modern jewish tradition you um abstain from um intimate relations you fast literally with nothing then no water no food nothing you um deny yourself everything you wear um particular types of clothing you can't wear your sunday best you actually wear um something else and um uh, and often spend most of the day in synagogue uh, there's five prayers that they end up end up actually saying okay that's where a modern day tradition is but any other thoughts on something that is uh, humbling your inner soul that's connected to your body or afflicting it on this special day because what's the word that we're not saying in this entire chapter which we normally associate with forgiveness and or atonement Repentance. Repentance, yeah. Okay, that word's not here. Okay, you would think it'd be very easy for the Lord to say, so on this day, I want some repenting. But then Aaron, he mentions the word atonement. Uh, does that not imply repentance? Yeah, yeah, implied by humility as well, maybe, eh, boy? Well, that's the whole thing. It's just simply implied. The literal text doesn't require it at all. The, and, and like I mentioned in the, in the summary, you bring in the goat that you kill, you put the blood on the altar, and then, and then the text is, and now you've atoned for the whole community. Okay, great. And then you get the live goat, confess all your sins on him and send them out. Well, what, what did I just do with the atoning then? Yeah, um, but maybe it's a picture. Maybe the goat, the second little goatee is a little picture, you know, off goes the I know, I know. But, and, but the, again, the literal text says he literally takes sins away. And um, and that and that's again that's the same wordage John the Baptist will say of Jesus. That's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And um, and and that's why because it's so important, the Byzantines threw it in one of their early prayers, and they said it twice. They, they said, you know, you take away the sins of the world. And before they say that was enough, they say it again because they, they uh, it's such a powerful thing to say and to believe so, so Aaron, Aaron that's it's that's, that's very interesting because John is saying that there's that here is the, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world now we told in another place that the Lord bore our sins so does he take them or bear them no <laughs> it's a good one because also in Cor in Corinthians Paul says he has become our sin offering yeah and so you go wow that's kind of cool he's doing all these things it's quite the busy boy okay uh, Teresa, 
In my humash, there's a comment about this business of fasting, or a number of comments, but the one that we haven't thought about is this one, and I think this is Rambam's. On Yom Kippur, a Jew is like an angel who serves God without need for food. In the Yom Kippur Matzor, which proclaims that teshuva, brackets repentance, is one of the means of deflecting evil decrees, the word fast is superscribed over the word teshuva. The superscription's implication is plain. Fasting's greatest value is when it is associated with repentance. And the purpose of the fast is to elevate Jews, not to cause them physical deprivation. Right. And he links in, he links in repentance. And you might notice that every single commentary that's, uh, that's Jewish on, on, that's, uh, from time immemorial all says that repentance is, is required, even though the text itself does not. Okay? They, they know that, look, uh, the guy who's at the edge of the camp, fasting just on itself, it doesn't, that's, like, that's nothing. It's like bringing a sacrifice just on itself. It means nothing. It's got to come from you first. And so they, uh, they require uh, repentance as part of this. It's the intent. Intent, the intention of the heart. Yeah, it's always and been. Fact, yeah, and it goes on in verse 34, right, to purify the people of Israel from their sins. I mean, I'm not sure what your version says. Yeah. Yes. Uh, in what, what verse is that one that you were talking about? Oh, you should be clean before the Lord of all your sins, that verse 30? Uh, verse 34 sorry from the new living translation yes. yep. sounds good and we'll and we'll get there i promise okay so um who's afflicting themselves all right the text is the, the hebrew says the ezrach right the citizen some translations say the native like the, the actual israelite and then it says the ger the stranger and then it says the ger the gear that is within you, right? Who is the stranger? Any thoughts? Yeah, could you say that last sentence again? Who's actually having to afflict their souls? Hey, Aaron, I have a, just a comment before you get into the other section. It's kind of interesting that in verse, um, in verse 29, um, there's kind of a, there's a chiasm in 29 to 31. The repeats and then rest and rest again. So it just keeps mirroring itself. And the center of the chiasm is, in, is actually in, in verse 30. From this day, it, uh, shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you, and you shall be clean for the Lord from all your sins. So it's interesting that verses of that miracle that um, it just the, the focus in that little paracope is really on. Why don't you go through it? Because we seem to be having a problem with Aaron, so go through it. Nine, it's a statute forever in the seventh month. And verse 31, uh, at verse 30, yeah, the end of 31, it's a statute. Yeah, it closes off the statute. Right, and then the next part is no work. And then verse 31, Sabbath of rest. So it's so it's statute, statute, rest, rest. And in the middle, it's verse 30, is that the atonement will mean to you know the, the whole concept of being clean. 
That's and that's, beautiful. It says cleanse you, and then it closes off with clean, right? Yeah. So it's the the full, you know, the 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 center of that chiastic structure is cleanly, being clean, feeling clean, knowing that you've been cleansed. A very cool, cool point, actually. I love that. And I love that, you know, that he, that we have this clean conscience. Come before God because our conscience is being cleared and a clean heart. It's, it's as, as it's been pointed out, it's a whole, whole holistic approach. Bang, in these few verses. That's amazing. That's a really cool point. That's cool. Yeah, well done, Yvonne. Yvonne, that was cool. It's interesting with the Lord. You know, it's, I, I used to hate literature. I hated like, <laughs> like illusions and similes and metaphors and, and all these sorts of structures. But it's actually, you know, it's, it's amazing how the Lord, and even in the Hebrew language, it's just, it's so beautiful and it's so, it's all is so enriched and we can appreciate it more, not from the literature standpoint of an English literature class, but from the actual narrative of the, of the Hebrew. Yeah, that's amazing. I think just as you're talking, I was thinking, because our consciousness cleans, we ask to have clean hands, we a clean heart. Really, it's the whole, again, body, soul, spirit, all needs to be that cleansing. And it's amazing how, our Lord Jesus can do that for us. But you just see what the Jewish people under the law had to go through to keep that cleansing process going. Because we, it's just for me highlighting, as you just said, how filthy we are. But also, also the, law, uh, the, the psalmist says, create in me a right spirit. Yeah. So I, I, I rather like that. It's, it's, uh, yeah. No, I, I, lo I love this is the living God speaking because Somehow in this, the Hebrew is always living. Where, where you start picking all the stuff out, it's 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 like layer upon layer, depth upon depth. It's 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 just amazing, and it can go on forever. It's it's yeah. <laughs> While you were gone, Aaron, Damaris was asking what the repentance meant to the Jews. Yeah. Uh, what was what was the question? Without faith in Yeshua, where are the Jewish people in terms of repentance? The Jewish people repent all the time. Okay, they, if, if anyone has, did anyone get the prayer that Mordecai sent? But they, they have repentance prayers and they repent every day. Um, repentance is. Yeah, I remember, um, I remember reading it actually, but I've seen it before. Yeah, yeah they, 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 they repent just like we do. In fact, it's exactly the same. Um, the. The, the thing here is who is doing the afflicting on, your, on the day of Yom Kippur? It's the, the, the citizen, the Ezrach, and the stranger. Who's within you? What does that mean? Uh, Shimshon, do you have a, an idea of, in terms of without faith in Yeshua, where the Jewish people are in terms of repentance? Okay, um, I believe that the Jewish people will, they, they are, of course, they, they, they like um, Aaron has mentioned, there is always repentance, um, they confess their sins, um, but I get your point, um, if, because true repentance is in, is in Yeshua, where will they be? Um, I will just take your mind back to the book of Zacharias, where they will come realize him as the Messiah. And um, they have a role to play in the world's order. And um, I think that's part of what is in the God's plan for the Jewish people. Um, Paul said that I, my prayer is that for all Israel to be saved. 
Um, even though, in fact, he said that if I may be cast away for them to be brought in, uh, and to be brought into what? To be brought into Yeshua. And uh, in Zacharias, he said that we recognize him as the Messiah, and we mourn for one as, as if they have lost the firstborn, and he, the Lord, will come and save them. Uh, we know the Lord will come and save them as a, as, as a nation, but as individual, it's, it's, it's a very, 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 um, it's a very debatable concept why um, Yeshua have said no one can come to the Father except by him. And um, they are trying to get to the Father without Yeshua, without him. And um, it becomes a very strong debatable context that um, is, is most often seen as the Jewish people are not in God's plan. But if we look, if you read in the text, in a lot of the texts, it's continued to say that they are in God's plan. But um, that is a very, very interesting line that I, 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 we, I need to explore myself. But it's interesting yeah. what you're saying, um, Sean, that in, in Romans 9, it's very clear to say that God has not forgotten the Jewish people. He's, he's putting them aside for yeah. now. is only so that we as Gentiles... Yeah. But once we're in, he's going back to the Jewish people and he's and all Israel will be saved. Yes. yes. I have only Absolutely. I have only come to the 10 lost tribes of Israel. Exactly. So that is that is the heart. And it's interesting because when you look at the 10, that's in the northern region, which is the Galilee of the Gentiles. So they're the northern went to the Assyria, the whole dispersion, and they got it. They got hit the hardest, and yeah. so he needs to take care of those the, the northern tribes <laughs> as well as Judah. And uh, it's it's beautiful, and then you see how yeah, the darkness is shown in the light, and it's it's really in the Galilee. I mean, well, the, the whole region, but it's it's very interesting. Repentance. I mean, um, Ephraim is Ephraim. Ephraim, that is usually connected with the northern tribes, as you mentioned, is always among the nations. You see, the, the Torah makes us know that um, Ephraim is scattered among the nations. So, yeah, every one of us, um, in a way, we are Ephraim because Ephraim is among the nations. And at the end of the day, Ephraim is going to be restored back. But like you mentioned, Judah um, needs to hang in there till the time of um, the Genesis fulfilled. Then. Um, he will definitely come back to Messiah. He will definitely come back to Messiah. Aaron, are you back? Yes, I'm here. I think I'm here. I really actually don't know. <laughs> so <laughs> Jesus, Jesus says repent before he dies and is resurrected. So the, the people who hear the word repent know what that means, and they know how to do it. Yeah. And the word doesn't change after resurrection. It's, it's exactly the same. And, 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 and we have to remember that. Um, going back to the stranger, remember that the, one of the roles of the nation of Israel was to be a light to the nations. And, yeah. and so sometimes those nations actually live with Israel. And so the, some of these laws are then passed on yeah. for these strangers to do too. And this actually is supposed to have a positive effect on them. This is not this is not something idly spoken about by the Lord, where he says, "Okay, um, my Hebrew people, you get to do this and everybody else. Well, they'll just sit around and watch. No, they participate too. the the Gentiles will participate as well. 
as part of my calling. And, um, and, and so there's, there, is a, there is a debate amongst a lot of us, amongst Christians, amongst Jews, since, since, uh, since the founding of the, the Jesus movement. What do we as Gentiles participate in, in the Jewish calendar, and what do we not? And uh, if you happen to be living in a Jewish area, how do you behave on Yom Kippur? What do you do? And uh, those questions might be a little bit more applicable to us living here, but they're no less different from anybody living um, outside or even just attached by being part of the Commonwealth of Israel. What does it mean to be a stranger that's within you? Um, and how does this law, uh, an unknown law, apply? And particularly in, in the light of subsequent covenants, which don't abrogate, right? Remember, the, the law of abrogation is something you find in Islam, but it is not something you find in, in the Judeo-Christian value. Teresa? In my Chumash, they have translated the word that you're translating stranger. They've translated it as proselyte, which I find interesting. Yes. So what they're trying to do is um, they were struck with the problem. Um, and this, what do we do with Gentiles? And their solution was, well, we'll only, we'll only um, talk to the ones that have basically converted. But that is not what the word means. Yes. The word literally does mean the stranger. Uh, it's a later, it's a later um, piece of theology and, um, and probably has a reaction to Christianity, actually. Um, because at the time of Yeshua, he even mentions that they went out to go and, and, and actually engage with the Gentile nations. Love your neighbor. And when you get down to it, you'll find out that that word neighbor is the heir of the stranger as yourself. Yeah. So going on to verse 30, you shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. What, who am I not clean before? Okay. Look carefully. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. Who are you not clean with? This atonement is between you and God, but it might be that I've actually offended Yvonne. How do I make my peace with her? How do I get clean? With her, I, you and I have to repent and confess. And so you end up with the same theology in the New Testament. Yes. You are forgiven by Jesus, yes? Yes. 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 And, and, and it's also yet, interesting that the Lord says, you, yeah. And then he says, you need to forgive or you won't be forgiven. He also says, when you forgive people's sins, they are forgiven. So you have lots of different levels. Aaron, it's also, also, also it's said that, you know, if you have something against somebody before you partake of communion, which is almost a similar process, right, of cleansing, you have to make sure that it's right with the neighbor before you do that. So it's, it's almost a reverse because here we're looking at uh, it's, uh, if you, you are right with the, God, with, with the Lord God clean, but you're not, maybe not right with your neighbor. And, and yet it's, it's almost reversed in, in the New Testament. It says, get right with your neighbor before you come in, become clean with the Lord. And so on that thinking, what happens between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? Try to, yeah, you try to make it right with your neighbors. Repentance. Correct. And so before you come to God and get clean with him, 
you get clean with the human, which is exactly what you see in Matthew, exactly what you see in, in the New Testament, that same theology. Yes, you want to be clean before the Lord from all your sins. Absolutely. And Leviticus says you will be. That's fantastic. But you also want to make sure that we're actually in a right relationship with each other. And uh, in the Jewish calendar, you spend 10 times more time getting right with a human than you do with God. 10 days for men and one day for the Lord. Uh, maybe because the Lord's just so good at it, you don't need 10 days, okay? Right? He's, he's, he's pretty good at this but stuff. You've also done some repentance during Elul, haven't you? Yeah, that's correct. Yep. And we have a fast coming up for Esther the day before. All right. Um, so it is a Sabbath rest. So there is a, a period of, of no work. And is a and the, is a, 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 it's a for those that have been in Israel, it's probably the most amazing day. Uh, no one drives. Everyone walks around on the street. Everyone. I don't know why we do that, uh, but we just do. Um, on Yom Kippur, my kids will we'll pray in the morning and then they'll go, OK, now I'm going to hop on my bike and go for a ride. You just do. You just and you join all the other neighbors doing exactly the same thing. Um, but you don't work. And, uh, and, and once again, it says that a second time, afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. What does that mean forever in the light of the next subsequent covenants? Because you've got a few. You've got the Davidic one. You've got the new covenant. You've got the covenant with Pinchas. Um, so what do you think, guys? Yeah, Aaron, uh, my, my version says uh, this is a permanent law for you. And that's an interesting thought because you know how God's law never changes from old to new covenant. It's just uh, it's fulfilled in Christ or whatever you want to say. And it's just powerful that this is a permanent law. Yep. So what do you think? None of the covenants actually erase anything in the past. Right. There's no abrogation. Yeah. Shimshon, um, you had a comment? just wanted to make... Um... That the, the 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 new covenant is uh, better understood as the renewed covenant. Um, when you have a, a a break of covenant with somebody and you decide to reactivate the covenant, it doesn't mean the text of the covenant has changed. And that's what um, was said in the book of Isaiah. He said, "I will make with them a new covenant." He didn't talk about changing the text, and he says, "I will write it on their heart." That was the different. That's the only thing that was different. The, the first one was written on tablets. Now it's written on your heart. And so when we talk about the renewed covenant, of course, it's not abrogating the, what we had at first. It's just giving it a new life. It was giving it um, what um, um, uh, Paul's um, the, the spirit of the law that um, we are given the spirit of the law to work with this time. Okay, so in terms of having that, does that mean you do or do not afflict yourself on this day? Um, you, you afflict yourself, of course. Um, you, you still participate. But of course, you participate as um, um, having the understanding of um, the spirit, having the understanding of what Yeshua has done for you, and you are appropriating it in the light of what you're doing. Yep, I think so. I, I would... I'd agree with that. David? Yes, Aaron. Uh, two things. Uh, the first thing is, in the Lord Jesus now, right, uh, I would, uh, my question is, how can, do we say we afflict ourselves, right? 
because we've been forgiven, right? I, I get the idea of fasting and things like that. And the second thing is we are told that we have a new and better covenant, right? So we, we need to be in that new and better covenant. So, so how does this work when we hear these things like we've just been reading in chapter 16, right? Because our new covenant is, is through Christ who has fulfilled many things, all of that, right? Do, do I make myself clear? Sure. And my response is actually, let's remember, another meaning of affliction is to humble. So in the new covenant, how do I still humble myself before the Lord? Constantly. Yes. Constantly. Constantly. And in some cases, that will involve fasting. Yeah. Yes. And here it's just one day. But for some of us in Lent, we're doing this now for 40 days. So, so could, I, could, I, could I say that part of this affliction is, is to literally live the beatitude? Or when, when the Lord says, turn your cheek, etc., all that, that's, that's encompassed in this. That's one. It's not hard to be poor in spirit, eh? <laughs> it seems to come pretty natural to people. <laughs> if somebody says you, turn the other cheek. If somebody says something bad against you, don't get angry. It's said like, the, you know. So that's a form of affliction. Um, yeah, uh, in a way. <laughs> uh, in a way. Um, also to add, when, when um, Ahab has sinned against God, um, Ahab was, um, be, um, was told about his, um, his sin against God, and Ahab fasted. And the Lord came to the prophet Isaiah and told him that, see, see, see Ahab has humbled himself. That's what God used to describe the the, the, the mood of Ahab with himself, just to connect with what Aaron says. It's tricky to understand. So, so, hum, so, we, can, so we say humbleness is afflicting our souls, right? We say yeah. those things, but we still ask, what does it mean to humble yourself? Humbling yourself is not bad if it brings about a good response. So it's kind of strange that way, because it's not, for me personally, it's not an affliction. It's just a, a, a way of checking whether I'm in the right space. So <laughs> it's not an affliction. It's actually a healthy thing. Yeah, and getting back to what, what Avita was saying earlier, that it's in the spirit, right? Because there's a challenging passage in 2 Corinthians 3 that talks about um, how, you know, uh, um, we are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull for to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Precisely. But that, that's the point. This is why we are told we have victory in Christ. There is therefore no, no more condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, who walk after the spirit, not after the flesh. This is what we talked about. So I think what, what the other guys are driving at is that part of this process is to walk humbly before our God and have a contrite spirit. Yeah. We're not talking about condemnation yeah. here. The whole point of Yom Kippur is liberation, yeah. atonement, taking away sins. It's all positive. The, let's also remember the new covenant. Part of the new covenant, God says, I will write in these laws. Where? Yeah. The Torah is on your heart. That includes this. And I think um, a good question was brought forward by Andrew in the chat. Is a former covenant included in the succeeding covenant? Yes. yes. And yes. I think, yes, I think the answer would be yes. 
is that it's this one continual slow. And so Hebrews, Hebrews, makes, yeah, Hebrews have, makes that abundantly clear on how it transitions from one to the other, but it actually doesn't wipe out the other one. Yes. It's very much like a relationship. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Where the relationship starts out with one agreement, but as the relationship gets gets deeper, the covenant changes a bit. Okay, nice. Yeah. So in 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 terms of like afflicting, humbling, and or fasting, the Messiah told us when we fast, these are the ways we should behave. So it's not that the when we're we're not being instructed not to fast, we are. And what will occurring here is the Lord saying, there is this day, and on this day, you need to make sure you humble yourself before me. And that's something you do. And, um, and so I think it would be unwise to dismiss it by saying, okay, well, that's just a bunch of guys in the desert and got nothing to do with us. Uh, particularly because we have this thing called the stranger that is within you. Um, I also think we shouldn't turn it into a, uh, uh, something that you do without any intention because that certainly doesn't work either. But we, I think we can learn many spiritual principles from this chapter itself, that there is this high priest who works unseen, who does all the job for you and takes away the sins. At the same time, you have a responsibility to humble yourself before the Lord in some way where you deny yourself the, the opportunity to work. Uh, it doesn't say why, but it's something that you do. And it's all involved in the celebration and service of taking your sins away and being clean before the Lord which then implies how can I be clean with my neighbor as well and keeping it within the community. So there's actually a lot of themes that appear in this, in this chapter and a lot of uh, good instruction, which is the word Torah, that comes from God. And I think, it's, um, it's a, I think some of our communities that dismiss these books lose something. They, they lose a bit um, in their walk and journey with the Lord. Okay? That doesn't mean that they're not saved or those kinds of uh, questions, but I, it does mean, I think, that uh, there's definitely something that's missing. Yeah, um, um, Aaron, um, the, the concept of the stranger continues to come up, and there is this chapter, there is this verse in, um, in um, Isaiah chapter 56. Uh, we'll just read verse 2 and 3. You say, happy is the man who does this, who the man who holds fast to it, who keeps the Shabbat and does not profane it. Okay, so that's um, um, chapter two. So sorry, verse two, let me read verse one. It says, said the Lord, observe what is right and do what is just, for soon my salvation is coming and my deliverance will be revealed. Happy is the man who does this, the man who holds fast to it, who keeps my Shabbat, who does not profane it, and stays his hand away from doing any evil. And verse 3 says, let not the foreigner say who has attached himself to Adonai, that Adonai will keep me apart from his people. And let not the eunuch say I am a dry tree. Um, because it would be very easy for the for, for a Jew reading this to say, okay, yeah, it's talking about the Shabbat. So of course, we know when we talk about Shabbat, like this um, 
Yom Kippur we are talking about was described as Shabbat Shabbaton. Um, but it says that let not the foreigner says that the Lord will separate me from his people or will give me a different standard or something like that. It kind of gives the same kind of weight to the foreigner. And it's very interesting to note that, that um, the, the Lord, I've always said that there is no partiality with him, is, there is no favoritism with him, and he's holding everyone accountable to this Torah, to, to these laws that he has given. Very good. Thank you very much. Janet. Um, I, I'm just thinking of this overall now within the church. I mean, Yom Kippur really doesn't have a place in the Gentile church. But I'm wondering, and it has nothing to do with our salvation and observing it, but I'm wondering <clears throat> if it's a way, for those of us who pay attention to it, it's a way of almost paying attention to where Israel is right now in terms of their salvation and because they're, they're veiled. And when we, we see the seriousness of which Yom Kippur is taken, especially in Israel, but also in other observant communities, that it, it, helps, it helps us understand how important that repentance is to the Jewish people, even if it's only for one day of the year. We, we don't have these sort of days in our calendar. Well, maybe, maybe Lent is in the more traditional churches. But I, I guess just sort of personally, for me, it's, it's a way of identifying with where Israel is right now as a, as a nation and as a people, in spite of everything else that's happening. And so, um, yeah, I, I'm just saying... Um, I mean, I don't gain anything if I do fast on Yom Kippur, but it's a way of identifying with his people and where they are right now and where they will be in Zechariah. So it's, I think it's, it's something that God wants, you know, the, the Gentile believers. There, there's something in that for us to do in intercession for Israel, um, for Israel to really come to that place of really knowing where the, the real repentance will be. I don't know if that makes any sense, but no, thank you, Janet. I think as as Gentiles, as we are finding our place in the Commonwealth of Israel, these laws become and these that that may not have had much meaning in the past can certainly have a lot more meaning now, even and especially in the light of the new covenant. And, uh, and so I think there's a lot of blessing and uh, spiritual growth and discipline that is attached to these. Um, the uh, Yvonne? Oh, now before into, I, I wanted to mention, just before you, you, you speak, Yvonne, remember, you don't save up all your sins to get forgiven on one day. Otherwise, what was the point of the other 15 chapters talking about sacrifices? No, really, you got the sin offering and the burnt offering and you got to do all this stuff and you got, and they really went into detail. But if all you had to do was just wait for Yom Kippur, and on Yom Kippur you didn't really actually have to do anything anyway, some guy you never saw, you probably never ever spoke to him, um, you might not even know his family. He's going to do it all for you. So keep that into perspective too. It's not that you're waiting just for this one day to get clean. You've been doing it all year anyway. And repentance in New Testament Greek, 
is a continual activity. It means having a repenting lifestyle, praying continuously, as, as Sharon would always tell us, is a continual lifestyle. Forgiving each other, that's a continual lifestyle. It's something we put into practice that we continually do. Every now and again, we need these special days to just give us that little kick that helps us, reminds us, focuses us, restores us, recharges us, gets us a bit more energized to keep doing the, the journey. Yvonne. Yeah, um, the concept of, of, um, of humbling is that verb in Hebrew, ana. And it's interesting because that, that, that being associated with fasting, you see that in Isaiah 58, 3. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? And so it's interesting that there's an association between the fasting and the humbling. And of course, then, you know, then there's the reprimand where you guys were fasting, like uh, you're seeking your own pleasure, blah, blah, blah. And he says, will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? And then I think this is a little bit of an answer to Jan well, a little bit of a just reminding me of Janet's question. And then in verse six, is this not the fast that I choose to lose the bonds of the wicked, undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free? It is not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him. And it goes on. So it's interesting that first the association between fasting and, and being humbled, the, that ana in verse three of chapter 58, but then it goes on to say, of course, a matter of the heart, that we could also do all of these things like the homeless, the naked, the poor, sharing our, our bread with the hungry. There's so much that we can do, um, you know, during this season. And of course, always. Awesome, thanks. Roddy, you got a hand raised, Roddy? Yes. Yeah, I did. So we're, we're talking about uh, the Lord's appointed times, all of them from Shabbat to Yom Kippur to Pesach, Shavuot, Sukkot, all of these things. And this is the question I'm always asking. At what point in any relationship, to include our relationship with our creator, if we don't acknowledge, participate, do something for things that he has told us are important to him. And if you're in a marriage and your spouse tells you something is important to them, and we completely blow them off or change them, we do anything other than what they have said clearly is important to them, at what point does the relationship break down? And I think, I think Yeshua is clear. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do as I ask? Yeah, I mean, you and I have talked about that a lot. Uh, is that a, obedience is a, a, a one a hallmark of the of a of a disciple, a follower of the Messiah is really trying their best to look like him. Two more hand raised. Uh, England, Vida, David. When we begin with these with these verses, it says that this is a statute forever. We were wondering what happens when there's no sanction, everything like that. Is there forgiveness? Is there not? I think perhaps. When we see the context of the way the Lord has dealt with Israel, especially like if we look at the Babylonian dispersion, the Babylonian captivity, right? Uh, they were in captivity, yet the Lord kept sending prophets. They were in captivity, yet they were con connected to the Lord still through Daniel and everybody else, right? The Lord was speaking to them very much so. And when they came back, there was no temple, and they put together a temple, and the temple would come down, etc., like that. But they still maintained the the, the 
their, their walk with the Lord. So this stuff still applied somehow. Yes, remember, right from the first set, the second verse, where does the first sacrifice come from? Within you. Okay. And so that theology that the first sacrifice comes from within you, that really helps, particularly when you get the danger, which 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 certainly existed, of making the ritual the religion. Okay. And the prophets railed against that. Jesus railed against that. God railed against that. At the same time, when you didn't have a temple and the ark was taken away, the sacrifice still within you could sustain, as you said, the people in captivity in Babylon. And then when they returned, as Shimshon reminded us, we built a second temple. There was no ark inside, so there is no blood being poured on a mercy seat, the, the atonement covering. It doesn't exist. Yet once again, Yeshua, as pointly as, as Shimshon pointed out, he never talks about that. He doesn't say, hey, guys, you know, this temple, it's empty. You're all stupid. He actually says, this is my father's house. Get those money changers out of here. You're desecrating this place. It still was holy. And, um, and so we've got to remember the initial uh, uh, sentences. This is a calling. Comes from within. Now we've got some rules. Let's try and figure out what they mean. And that Christ gives us his righteousness, that we don't earn it by what we do is the key principle, right? And that's even in the Old Testament that, you, you know, that God is our righteousness, our righteousness, like his righteousness will be revealed, you know, different passages, Isaiah. And yeah. And the word righteousness is, as, as we mentioned on Monday, has many levels because there are people in the, in the Old Testament called righteous. So we have to, it's, 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 it's very interesting, you know, Job's one, Noah's one. And uh, and people are still tr and st let your righteousness shine, okay, and uh, which is interesting. Okay, so Shim, so we will have. I promise you, Sharon, because you've mentioned it now two or three weeks in a row. We will have a talk about what the meaning of righteousness is. How's that? Both in Hebrew and in Greek, <laughs> and uh, which is a fascinating study. Okay, um, and hopefully then un unpack some of these interesting verses that seem to imply that, uh, uh, that righteousness has a, a lot more different nuances than, than a, a, just a narrow view of um, I'm so bad and, and God's so good. Um, uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Shimshon. All right. Um, very powerful um, analysis that you just gave um, from Sharon. Um, Adonai Zikenu. Uh, you know, it's a very heavy word because you're talking about our righteousness is God. I mean, God is our righteousness. It's powerful. Um, but what I, one thing I wanted to bring out is from the similar book of Leviticus. But if you go to verse chapter number 23 and where, the way God describes this um, feast, which we call feast, but in the Bible it's actually called Moed. And the word Moed simply means um, appointment. Like we say, tent of meeting or tent of appointment. So it's just like when your doctor sets an appointment with you, you don't even negotiate because you know it got to do with your life. So everybody shows up for the doctor's appointment. Everybody shows up with the appointment with the with the president or with the senator. But now God is setting his own appointment, and we 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 kind of take it so lightly. And you know, from God's perspective, I mean, if we're God, I was like, well. 
why are these people doing this to me? I mean, I'm the most important in the world. But, you know, I think we should look at it from that thing, appointment. God has set an appointment with us, and we are coming to meet with him because we have an appointment with him. Thank you, Shimshon. That was great. Really appreciate that. And um, that actually might be a nice way to end our discussion tonight. Brothers and sisters, God has given us many opportunities to meet him and appointments. Let's never miss them. Actually, let's engage in them. And if we have the opportunity, let's bring other people along along with us to meet our God because he's so, so good. Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org. Blessings from the City of the Great King.